My name is uh, Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I uh, just want to welcome anybody who is new, or maybe you're just a guest who's been coming for a few uh, weeks now. Welcome back. Everybody watching online for the first time, uh, glad you can join us. So we've been in the series, God versus Satan, and uh, we're ending next week. Next week will be the last message as Pastor Gary brings the message, uh, but today we are finishing off part two. Last week we started... The full armor of God. I gave you four pieces of armor. Today we'll do the rest of the armor, all right? To set up for the message, I want to show you a video. Uh, and in this video, you're going to see a pretty terrifying incident that happened at the Formula One Grand Prix in a country called Bahrain. And a, a race car driver named Romain Grosjean, Roman Grosjean, he's from France and he's driving and he takes an unexpected turn. And so check out this video as we get ready for the message. All right, check this out. That incredible, that last scene was actually Roman Grosjean who escaped that fiery crash pretty much unscathed. He was actually trapped. His, if you saw, he was missing a boot because his foot was stuck under the pedal and he was unscathed. I've never thought about what a Formula One race car driver wears to competition. Never thought about it. Figured maybe a helmet, some gloves, a jumpsuit maybe. Yet Roman Grosjean will say, no, I never enter into a race or a competition without the full armor. So besides the, the jumpsuit, which, by the way, is equivalent to three layers of clothing, which is a lot, underneath he has a fireproof one-piece undersuit, totally fireproof. He has fireproof gloves. He wears fireproof socks. Over those socks, he wears his racing shoes. He has a carbon fiber helmet, incredibly strong. He has a brace called the Hans brace, which is hand and neck support, safety support, to keep his neck from breaking. And he's wearing all this every race. And to me, that's overkill. Like, that's too much clothing. That's hot, especially as you're crammed into that tiny little cockpit. And if you're racing the Grand Prix in countries like Singapore, where the temperatures can hit over 90 degrees on any given day, 100% humidity, that's just too much. And yet Roman Grosjean will say, no way, there is no way I'm entering into any competition without my full armor. And on that day, he went through the fire and proved that it's worth it. 
Like Roman Grigion, we learned last week about how the Roman soldier wears a full armor into physical battle. And Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. As he's chained to this Roman soldier, he has before him inspiration to encourage the Christian soldier to wear a full armor as they engage in spiritual battle, just like the Roman soldier wears a full armor in physical battle, just like Roman Grigion will wear full armor in a F1 race. And so last week, we went through four pieces of the armor from Ephesians 6. If you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and and, uh, look at what those four pieces are. And today, I want to give you the rest of the armor. So we're going to pick up from Ephesians chapter 6. Um, I want to recap really quick, put on the slide for you from last week, just to give you context. We talked about how the armor of God goes against the evils of the devil, schemes of the devil. For example, the belt of truth protects us because the devil dilutes. We put on the breastplate of righteousness because the devil defiles. We, we put on the shoes of peace because the devil divides. And we put on the shield of faith because the devil discourages. So let's, let's take a moment to pause. Let's pray and ask the Lord to show us the rest of the armor. Would you guys join me in prayer? Dear God, we pray that right now, even as we're about to get into your word, that you would give us armor to put on. We know that as we sit in the safety of the sanctuary that Satan would love to distract us. He would love to pull us away from what's going on right now in this moment. He would like to deafen our ears to your word. He would like us to get lost in our thoughts or lost on our phones, lost in our plans for today. And I just pray that right now you would draw our hearts in and draw our, our minds in. Help us to be attentive to you, God. God, I believe that there are people here, people watching right now who you've ordained to hear what you have to say. I I believe you want to speak, God. So we pray that you would do that now. May your word be precise. May it be timely. May it speak to us in our current situations and situations to come. Thank you, God, for being the God who speaks truth. Change our lives with it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 6, we're picking up from verse 17, but let me start from verse 10 to give you the whole context, uh, just to remind you of what we're talking about. So Paul's writing to the church, going through spiritual battle, and here's what he writes. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Talking about demonic forces. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And here's where we pick up today. And take the helmet of salvation. You could pause right there. If you're taking notes, would you write this down? I'm going to put it as number five because it's the fifth part of the armor. Number five, put on the helmet of salvation because the devil distracts. 
Put on that helmet of salvation because the devil distracts. I want to show you a picture of a helmet that a Roman soldier would wear. And if a breastplate, like we talked about last week, protects the heart, then the helmet protects the, the head. It protects the head. It protects the mind. You know, when I was in college, one summer I worked out with my uncle. He runs a construction company, and they were building a hotel down in San Diego. And so I was on site, and uh, we got to become friends with the management of that hotel. We, we were pretty good friends. And I remember one of the managers, we were talking about Christianity. And she was asking questions, and I was sharing what Christians believe. I was sharing a little bit about my faith. And we, we actually had several conversations. And I appreciate that she asked. She was genuinely interested, and she listened to everything I had to say, but it seemed like nothing I said really moved in her heart. Like, I wasn't really persuading her much. And I'll never forget after one particular conversation, she said to me, she said, Greg, I don't know if I'll ever become a Christian. She says, but there is one thing that you Christians have that I really admire. She says, you Christians are so joyful when people die. <laughs> she said, you have so much peace when people pass away. And I thought that was like weird. I've never heard anyone say that. But I could tell she wasn't saying it with a mocking voice. She, she, wasn't, she wasn't mad about that. She was actually like, that is something I truly admire. Why? Because she has gone through losing loved ones and it's been so sad and so painful and so hard to get through. And the more I thought about that comment, I couldn't help but agree and just be really thankful for the perspective that I have as a Christian. Here's one thing I realized that Christians have. You know what one of the most distinct characteristics of a Christian is compared to the rest of the world? One of the things that we have that, that much of the world doesn't, an eternal mindset, a mind that is set on eternity, a, a heart that hopes for and longs for heaven. That's what sets us apart. We're not the only ones who believe in heaven. There are many people in the world who believe in an afterlife or who believe in a heaven, but not many people in this world live for that. For the Christian, that ought to be what we live for. For many people, they might believe in a heaven, but that's just the next best thing after this life on earth. Like this life on earth is what matters most. Heaven is just the next thing I go to. Or for some people, heaven is a euphemism. It's, it's a positive thing to make a negative thing like death easier to go through. It's a positive spin on something like death. And yet for the Christian, no, 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 no. Heaven is everything. It's what matters most. It's not just somewhere I go. It's not just something I live for. It is someone. It's being in the eternal presence of Jesus, which also means the absence of evil. It's everything to the Christian who gets it. Jesus says, or actually the Bible says, that God has put eternity. He has set it on our hearts. Like we've been created for this longing for that which is e eternal. And that's why I believe that salvation from eternal death, being saved into eternal life in the presence of Christ, our God and our King, that's central to the gospel message. That's the very core of our good news. And that's why 
it matters to us. It matters most. Here's what Colossians chapter 3 says. Paul writes this in verses 2 and 4. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Verse 4, he says, for when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Think about things that are above because Christ is coming again. And when he comes again, he's bringing you home to glory. That's when our eternity will be more real than ever. Our eternity will be reality. And Satan knows that. Satan knows that. That the hope of heaven, for those who are saved, the hope of heaven in the future is our strength for today. It's what gets me through today. It's what's going to get me through tomorrow. And the suffering I'm going to receive maybe a year from now is the hope of heaven in the future. And if Satan can just get into our minds and distract us and take our minds off of that which is eternal and keep it on things below, he knows he can destroy us on the inside. He can destroy us on the inside. So let me challenge you right now to really think about your life. Think about your days. Think about today. Like what consumes your mind? What consumes your thoughts in this season? And maybe it's something negative that you can't shake off. Maybe it's an emotional setback. Maybe it's that feeling of being worthless or being lonely. Maybe it's an emotional setback. Being rejected, not being wanted. Maybe it's a physical setback. Maybe you have a sports injury that you can't seem to overcome. Maybe you have cancer. And you're scared about what the future looks like. Maybe you have a surgery coming up this week. Maybe it's a financial distraction. And you're in crazy debt. And you don't know how you're going to pay rent. You don't know if you're even going to have a job. And you can't seem to think about anything else. Or maybe the thing that consumes your mind is not so negative. Maybe it's actually a positive thing. And it's like the devil's telling you, hey, look, your platform is growing. You're becoming more and more famous. You're, you're being known. And that's all you can think about, building your influence. Or may, maybe it's about building your business. And you can't stop thinking about business ideas and how do I make more money. Or maybe it's a hobby that you just love and it's consuming your time and your thoughts. And, and you're constantly online looking for, for gear for that, that hobby. And, and it's just consuming you. What consumes your mind? And I want to encourage you to put on the helmet of salvation. Because what distracts us here will impact us here. What distracts us from heaven will impact us here on earth. Put on the helmet of your salvation and remind yourself of the eternal glory that far outweighs and far outlasts anything here on earth. Because that's what devil wants you to focus on. Protect your mind. And so the devil may want to whisper things to you to get your mind off of heaven. And he'll say things to you like, hey, you're not as attractive as that other girl. Her body is so much nicer than yours. Or, or your biceps aren't as hard as Pastor Dan's. Whatever. Put on the helmet of salvation and boom. Oh, well, I'm saved. He might try to distract you and say, hey, your girl just left you. You're a loser. You're, you're, lo you're alone. Put on the helmet of salvation. Boom. Oh, well, I'm saved. Eternally saved. He might say to you, hey, you have a disease. 
and you don't have much longer to live. And that may or may not be true, but boom, I'm eternally saved. Does anything matter more than that? And he's going to get to you about those, hey, you're, you're, you're becoming more famous, you know, focus on that. Build your name, build your reputation. No, hold on, boom, reputations come and go, but I'm eternally a son of God, a daughter of God. Hey, your, your, your business is blowing up. You're leading the industry. There's no one like you. Keep working on it. Work day and night. Forget your family. Wait, hold on. Boom. That might change tomorrow, but I am forever saved. My salvation is eternal. Put on the helmet of salvation and protect your mind from the distractions of Satan. In Colossians 2, verse 4, we just read it. Remember, he says, listen, there will be a day when Christ, who is your life, is going to come. And when he comes, when he appears, you will be with him in glory. The promise is that Jesus is coming for the church, for his bride, those who are saved. He's coming, and when he appears, he's taking us home to glory. Can you just imagine, just stop and think about that. One day, Christ is going to descend on clouds of glory coming out of heaven. And on that day, everybody will see it. Everybody will know it. I don't care what you believe right now. You might be an atheist. You might be an agnostic. You might be a Christian. But on that day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. There will be no debate about it. There will be no doubt about it. He is coming and everything he said is true. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And someone, yeah, we could give praise to the Lord for that. He's coming again. And every knee that bows will bow because of that reality. Some will bow out of dreadful humiliation because I denied him and rejected him all the days of my life, but it's true. And some will bow out of humble adoration because I gave my life to this, and it's true. And in that moment, you think about it, when he's coming and the whole world sees his glory, you, what's going to be on your mind in that moment? You're not thinking about the things on this earth as you realize your eternity is here. Like, I'm, I'm here, you're on your knees too, because every knee's gonna bow. He's coming in all his glory and all his majesty, and I'm here, and I'm not thinking to myself as I see Jesus, I'm not thinking, man, I can't believe my bike got stolen. How am I going to replace my mountain bike? I'm not thinking that. And, and I'm not thinking, man, I can't wait till I buy a bigger house. That's going to be awesome. No, that is not on your mind in this moment. I'm also not thinking about everything I've been able to accomplish, my successes, my accolades, my accomplishments. That's not on my mind, and I know that's not on your mind. Like as you're next to me, on our knees, beholding Jesus, you're not thinking about me. I get it. You're not thinking... As you look at Jesus, you're not like, oh my gosh, Pastor Greg is amazing. <laughs> like, his messages and his ministry was so powerful. No, you're not thinking about me. And I get it. I ain't mad at you. You know why? Because I'm not thinking about you either. You're not on my mind because together we're beholding his glory, his beauty, his brilliance, his majesty, and the fact that I'm about to enjoy forever and eternity with him. He's taking us home to glory. Is there anything that matters more than that which is eternal? 
Is there anything more important on this earth than our salvation? No. And so let the distractions of the enemy be overwhelmed and overpowered by your eternal reality. If you are in Christ, put on your helmet of salvation and remember that which lasts forever. So Ephesians 6, 17, he says, put on the helmet of salvation. And he goes on and he says, and also the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So if you're taking notes, write this down. So number six, the sixth part of the armor. Take up the sword of the spirit because the devil deceives. Take up the sword of the spirit because the devil deceives. I want to show you a picture of a gladius. This is a Roman gladius. Uh, it's a sword that a soldier would carry on his belt. And it's not necessarily super long. Sometimes it was only 12 to 18 inches. But it was super sharp at its point, but also on its edges. It, it was a double-edged sword, a two-edged sword. And it, it was so sharp that it was precise enough to cut through at the very part it penetrated, the enemy's armor. Hebrews 4.12 says this about the word of God. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Paul's calling this right here the word of God. He's calling it the Spirit's word. It's the word of the Spirit. I like to, exp uh, to uh, abbreviate the Spirit's word as the S word. The S word. It's the sword. The sword of the Spirit. The S word of the Spirit. And he says that in this book right here, we have what we need at any particular time, in any particular situation, because the word is precise. It is precise. The word that Paul used in Ephesians 6, 17, when he says the sword of the spirit is the word of God, the, the Greek word for word is the word rhema. You might have heard the word logos, which translates word, but, but there's another Greek word, rhema. And rhema is defined as an utterance, audibly spoken word. And in many cases, like in this case, it's talking about when the word of God is spoken precisely at the right moment, at the right time. In this case, against the schemes of the devil. When the enemy attacks, he's going to give us just the right word. I think about like when Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, in the last days, they're going to take you and they're going to persecute you because of your faith. You might be taken and held captive and put before governing authorities to give an account. Your life is on the line. And Jesus says this to encourage them in Luke 21, 14 and 15. He says, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you would defend yourselves. For I will give you words. I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And so he's saying in that moment when your life is on the line and you're standing before them, I'm going to give you what to say. Now here's what's interesting. When he says, I'm going to give you words, that word is actually not logos. And it's actually not even rhema. It's the word stoma. And stoma could be translated words or mouth. As if God were saying, in that moment, I'm going to give you the mouth to speak. I'll give you the words to say. Don't worry, I got you. But also the word stoma, interestingly, can be translated the edge of a sword. 
the edge of a sword. How do I know that? Same author, same book, same chapter, just a few verses later, Luke 21, verse 24, says they will fall by the edge of the sword, stoma. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And so what we have here, there's this word picture that the word of God is like a double-edged sword. It is sharp and it is precise. It's able to divide truth from lies, deceit and reality, thoughts and intentions. And as part of the armor is able to help us precisely in moments when the devil wants to get you to fall. So store up the word of God in your hearts and have the sword of the spirit upon you. Listen, the sword of the spirit, right? It's a great, it's a great weapon to have. But here's what's true. The sword of the spirit doesn't just appear out of nowhere in our lives. You don't find yourself in a situation and all of a sudden you have scripture that you don't know. It doesn't work like that. Scripture you've never read or never heard or never become familiar with, you could only have in the armory of your heart scripture that you've become familiar with. And that's what God's going to use in those moments. My son and I, we um, like to play baseball. He's really into all sports, but right now he's really into baseball. And so we'll play catch in the back a lot. And uh, one thing that he likes in particular is pitcher-catcher. So he's pitcher, I'm always catcher, and we come up with signs. And it's usually four signs. If I give him a one, that's a, that's a fastball. Two, he's gonna pitch a curveball. If I give him a three, that's a knuckleball. If I say four, then that's a changeup. And so I'll, I'll play catcher and I'll sit here and I'm gonna give him signs, one, two, three, or four, and he loves receiving the sign and whatever I give him, that's what he's gonna pitch. But you know what? I'm not going to throw him a curveball in that I'm not going to give him a five. I'm not going to be like, shaka. I'm not going to be like, spear fingers. Like, I'm not going to give him something. I'm not going to say, hey, give me a sinker or a slider. Why? Because he doesn't know those pitches. I'm not going to give him something he's not familiar with. I'm going to ask him to use something that he knows. One of those four pitches. In a, in a baseball game, in a real game, a good coach or a good catcher is going to be aware of the situation. They're going to know the batter, the opponent who's coming up to the batter's box, and they're going to send a signal to the pitcher to throw this pitch in this situation. But it's only going to be a pitch that that pitcher has become familiar with, a pitch that he knows. That's the way it works. And in the same way, the, the Spirit of God will only give us swords that you know, that you're familiar with. And so the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility work together in wielding the sword of the Spirit. And the sovereignty of God is God being the coach who knows all things and knows every scenario, and he will give us what to use. But the responsibility of man is that we become familiar with the Word of God. That we store up the armory of our hearts with swords of the Spirit. That we read the Word, read it regularly. Get to know the weapons in this book. Listen to it on a regular basis. So all you guys here at church, everyone listening, this is good. Listen to the preaching of the word. Even as you go to work on your commute, download podcasts, different sermons, and keep on being fed. Memorize it. Meditate upon it. Think about it often. Write it down at your computer and read it constantly, storing up. 
the armory of your hearts. And in those moments when we need it most, then the Holy Spirit can reach into the armory of your hearts and give you the precise word that you need at that moment for that situation, for that attack. I love uh, the story my friend, he's a pastor friend, his name is Ted. He tells a story when he was young and he got into this big, big argument, this big fight with his mom. They're shouting at each other and they're yelling at each other. Words going back and forth, they're screaming, yelling, or they're not even hearing what the other person is saying. My friend Ted, as a youth, he's so mad. He's disrespecting his mom, but she, she deserved it, and he was so mad that he storms out of the house and he runs away from home. And he, he doesn't mean to, to, to run away for good, but he's, he just needed to be out of the house. And as he's in his neighborhood, he's so mad, he, he stops by a liquor store and he with all the money he had in his pocket, he just bought some snacks. And he brings the snacks to the counter and he just slams it on the table. You, you know, you've been in a fight before with somebody and, and when you guys are separated and it hasn't been reconciled, you're thinking about all the things you're gonna say once you start get, getting together again and hashing things out and you're gonna bring up this thing in the past and you have all this verbal arsenal built up. But that's, that's what Ted's doing. So I can't wait back to... I can't wait to get back and just really give it to her, right? So he has all these snacks, and he goes to the cashier re- register, and he slams it on the counter. And the clerk at the counter just rings him up, rings him up, and goes, that will be 429, young man. He goes, what? What'd you say? And the clerk goes, it's going to be 429. And at that moment... The Holy Spirit rushed into the armory of Ted's heart and reminded him of Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, except that which is helpful to those listening, helpful for building others up according to their needs. That might benefit everyone who listens. It was a verse that he had become familiar with. He memorized it in youth group, and he had stored it in his heart, as David says in the Psalms, that I might not sin against you. And that day, the sword of the Spirit helped protect him from the scheme of Satan. The devil would love to divide. He would love to discourage. He would love to deceive the saints. But the sword of the Spirit can defend with great precision, giving us the right word at the right moment. So church, Christian soldiers, store up the armory of your heart with the S word, the sword of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. So there you have it. Those are the six pieces of the armor of God from Ephesians 6. I'll put it up for you as recap. The six pieces are we have the belt of truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have the shoes of peace. We have the shield of faith. We have the helmet of salvation. And we have the sword of the spirit. Six pieces. And these are the six pieces that most people talk about. And they'll cite when they're talking about Ephesians 6. And the full armor of God. But listen, there's one more piece of weaponry that we have. We have one more weapon available to us in this chapter. And it's just interesting because Paul doesn't assign an analogy or a symbol from the Roman soldier's armor to this last weapon. And I don't know why. Because this is an important part. Maybe because in Roman warfare or ancient warfare, there was just nothing that could effectively communicate the power and the impact and effectiveness of this last weapon. Maybe that's why he didn't give it a piece of the armor. 
But, but, but I, I have one. I have a symbol I'd love to give you, an analogy for this last weapon. And I, I get it. There was nothing in ancient warfare as an analogy for it. But if you look at all the most powerful armies in the world today, they all have it. The most powerful armies in the world today, they all have it. And that's air support. That's air support. Knowing that whatever situation, whatever battle you're in, you can call out for help. And know that air support is coming. You're going to get help from above. Whatever situation you're in, you have at your access fighter jets, aerial bombers, dive bombers, missile attacks, helicopter assistance. There's air support for the most powerful armies. Church, Christian soldiers, we have prayer as our air support. Answers to our prayer is air support. It is our secret weapon. It is a weapon that the enemy does not have. It's something that he cannot fight with. It is something that he cannot stop. He has no defense against it. It is prayer. So write this down as number seven. This is the last weapon for today. Prayer is our air support. Prayer is our air support. Verse 18. This is the last verse. This is from the NIV. He says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Don't ever enter into battle without prayer. God, when we pray, is able to hear and answer from above. And in answer to our prayers, God may dispatch and deploy angels to protect us and defend us. In answer to our prayer, maybe he'll give you a sword of the spirit, a particular word in that precise moment against that particular attack. He might give you a chess piece, something to guard your heart from the devil trying to defile it. He's going to give you discernment as to what to let in and what not. Maybe he's going to give you a shield of faith to keep you from being discouraged because of something someone said. Or to fill you with doubt because of a circumstance you're going through. Air support prayers are so vital to the Christian battle. Why? Because when we pray, what are we doing? Think about this. When we pray, we are acknowledging a God who is far above us. A God who is so much higher than us and any other power or force or authority in this universe. That's what we do when we acknowledge God in prayer. He's able to see what we can't. He's able to do more than you can. He's able to lead us when we're lost. Right? I was thinking about recently, I, we took our kids to Irvine Regional Park in Orange County. It's a big park, and we love going there because a lot of times they have festivities or activities going on. And for the fall, they had a lot of fall activities, right? They had like uh, face painting and um, you could take pictures at a pumpkin patch. And a lot of these activities are free. And if you know this cheap guy, I'm all about free. Anything free dollars are under is good for me. So, so we took our kids and there's one of the free activities was a hay maze. Okay, so here's a picture of that maze. And so it's kind of like a labyrinth. And you know, the kids go through one entrance, and they got to find their way to the exit. And all they can see in front of them is hay. And so that's my son, Evan. Those are my two daughters, and, and they're going around. And as soon as they go in, my son's 11, Karis is 8, and Irenae is 4. And as soon as they go in, my two older kids, like, take off running and totally ditch the 4-year-old. 
They're like running around and trying to find their way out. They're excited. They're hitting dead ends, making wrong turns, running in circles, and, and they're having a blast. My daughter, Aranea, is just like frustrated because she can't find her way out. She's so short. They're, they're, they're all like yay high, so they can't see anything. And yet my daughter, I stayed with my daughter. She had in her presence who? Her father. I was there, and her father is a head above the hay. So I took this picture. And in this picture, you can't see me because I'm taking the picture, but you can see the parents are a head above the hay. And so the parents can actually see the whole maze, and I can see the dead ends. I can see the wrong turns. I can see the way out, and I can see the way in which she should go. And so I'm following Irene along, and when she hits the wrong turn, I'm there. And when she says, Daddy, help me, Daddy, help me, then I can answer her and show her the way. Guys, we have a heavenly Father who is above us, not just a head above us. He is heavens above us. He is able to see what you can't see. He can do what you cannot do. He can lead you when you're lost, and he will comfort you when you're alone. I was with my daughter, comforting her, providing comfort with my presence, but also providing guidance with my perspective. I'm able to help her in that time of need, and I did only when she asked, only when she asked. And we have a heavenly father that we would cry out and and call out in prayer. He will be able to answer us when we ask, and therefore we pray on all occasions. Here's how I want to encourage all of us in light of everything we studied last week and this week, all the parts of the armor of God. Here's the takeaway, all right? If the devil is a prowling lion looking for someone to prey on, then prey on the full armor of God. If the devil is a prowling lion looking for someone to devour, someone to prey on, as it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, then prey on the full armor of God, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6. All right, think about how, how is it that we're practically putting on the armor of God? How do we put that on? Well, my suggestion is pray it on. Pray that God would equip you in any particular situation when you feel attacked, be it division in your family or discouragement from that bad news you just got or you need discernment for a certain activity or maybe there's a distortion of the truth. Pray, God, give me a piece of the armor that's going to help combat this particular de-evil or this scheme of Satan right now. If the devil's trying to depress you by comparing you to your better-looking higher-grossing, deal-closing colleague that's getting all the attention. Father God, give me the helmet of salvation and remind me of that which is eternal. Remind me that my identity is not found in how I compare, but in what you declare. I am saved, eternally saved. Maybe tomorrow morning you go to work and you're going to get this email and it's going to crush your spirit. It's like the devil's trying to destroy your joy by defaming you and slandering your character. And in that moment when you want to retaliate and attack back, Father God, please give me the shoes of peace. Remind me that my battle is not against flesh and blood. 
Remind me that there is a demonic force, a power that's trying to turn people against each other, trying to bring the vision so that the kingdom falls. God, give me this unnatural grace and forgiveness, just like the gospel of peace has given me. Pray on the armor of God in those particular moments. Listen, we have the full armor of God that God has given us. He has, he's got us covered from head to toe, from the top of our helmets to the bottom of our shoes of peace. He's covered us from head to toe, from every scenario, from A to Z and every D evil in between. He's got us covered. So put on the full armor of God. But I want to further encourage you, don't just pray in those particular moments of attack. Because the Bible says what? What did it say? It says pray on all occasions. He says don't stop praying. Pray on all occasions. That means before the battle, but also in the battle and after the battle. Pray before you go into that job interview, while you're on the basketball court in that game. Before you go on that date with that person you just met online. Before you enter into that conflict resolution situation, put on the full armor of God. Pray on all occasions and pray on the armor. Here's one thing that I've been trying to do recently to train myself, and I'm going to share it with you because it might be helpful to you. If it is, please try it. So one thing that I've been trying to train myself to do is to not always just go to my phone right away and just get lost in scrolling through stuff, right? A lot of us, like, what do we do? You're like waiting at a red light. What do you do? Take out your phone, check your text, right? You're waiting in line for your food. What do you do? You start checking your email, right? Guys, what do you do? You wake up in the morning. You're sitting on your throne. What do you do? You're going through your social media, right? Like, we're always constantly going through our phone. We get lost in, in all this stuff. So I, I've started trying to take uh, notes on my notepad. On an iPhone, we have a thing called notepad, and your smartphone probably has something similar. Um, but I started writing down prayer requests of all the people that I said, hey, I'll pray for you. I'm trying to like honor that and be faithful to that. So I'll write down prayer requests. And so I tell myself in the morning before I go to anything else and start checking news or stock prices or sports scores or whatever, email, I'm going to go to my notepad. And let me just start with prayer. Let me just start praying before I get lost in all that stuff. And that might be helpful for you. If it is, do it. And one thing I've added to that notepad this week is the full armor of God. Things to pray through. So maybe you want to write it down somewhere because I know it's hard to memorize all six pieces. So maybe you want to get a, a, a laminate card, like laminate it, put it on the dashboard in your car. Or maybe you want to write it in the, on, on the whiteboard in your office. Or maybe put it on post-it notes and, and put it in your bathroom mirror so when you wake up in the day, you can pray through it. And pray on the armor of God. But have it somewhere written. And by the way, I've made it available. It's on the website. So if you go to the sermon page where you can watch the sermons, you'll see the, uh, the prayer attached to this particular message right now. Okay? But pray through this. Before your day and as you go through the day, pray, Father God, I put on the belt of truth. And I pray that you would help me to discern right from wrong. Help me to know when the devil is deceiving and God, I pray for the breastplate of righteousness. I put it on and I pray that you would protect my heart. Lord, would you guard my eyes and my ears. Help me to keep sin from entering into my heart. And God, I pray for the shoes of peace. 
I pray that you would help me to remember what has saved me, your grace and your forgiveness. Help me to remember my battle is not against flesh and blood. So help me to show unnatural grace and forgiveness like the gospel of peace. And God, I pray for the shield of faith. I pray that you would allow me to not just know what your word says, but help me to believe by faith with all my life. Help me to believe what your word says. Help me not to be discouraged or doubt because of my faith in you. And God, I pray for the helmet of salvation. I pray you put it on my head and remind me of eternal glory that far outweighs anything on earth. God, help me to remember my identity is in you. Not how I'm compared, but what you declare. Father God, I pray for the sword of the Spirit. All the scripture that I've come to know, would you wield it in the most opportune moments? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray it before your day. Pray it as you go through the day. Paul states plainly, we need to put on the full armor of God and pray on all occasions. So when the day of evil comes, we will be able to stand when the devil attacks. I opened up this message um, by showing you that fiery crash that Roman Grosjean was founded. Remember that? Can you imagine if he only put on part of that armor? Like all he took on was his helmet, but not his fireproof suit. Or what if he only wore his fireproof gloves, but not his helmet? Like he would not be alive today. He would not be in the condition he is today. Thank God he put on his full armor. Now, I was thinking about this. If, if for some reason I was going to race in a Grand Prix like him, and, and Roman Grosjean comes and gives me, personally gives me, every piece of the armor that he wears, and he says, here, wear this. What am I going to do? I'm taking it. I'm going to wear it. Why? Because I know that it saves. I know that it works. I know that it protects. Why? Because it has literally gone through the fire. And it has saved a man's life. So if Roman Grosjean says, here, wear this. This is everything I wear. I'm wearing it. But listen, we don't have Roman Grosjean's armor. And you don't have a Roman soldier's armor but you have the full armor of God. You have the armor of God. And it's like God is saying, here, take this, wear this for the battle. And if God says that to you, if he says it to me, I'm taking it. I'm wearing it. Why? Because I know that it saves. Listen, the armor of God is not just something that God gives. The armor of God is something that God wears. It is the armor he wears. Isaiah chapter 59, God says that the people of Israel need a savior. And he's looking throughout the land and says, there's no man sufficient to save or deliver the nation. Can't find anybody. So what does mighty God do? He steps into battle. He rolls up his sleeve. He gets dressed. Isaiah 59 verse 17 says this. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. The Redeemer of Israel put on his armor. And we know that when he was dressed for battle, how did he come out? Undefeated, triumphant, victorious. 
And if Christ walked out of that tomb gloriously, and he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God victoriously, and he says, here, take my armor, put on this armor, I'm taking it. I'm wearing it. The armor of God is not just something God gives. It's what he wears, and it saves. Brothers and sisters, put on the full armor of God. Dress yourselves with Christ, because if we do, we will not fall, but we will stand on the day of evil when the devil attacks. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads, and let's come before him and pray. And Father God, we just bow our heads in great thankfulness. Because, God, we thank you that you did not just leave us hanging. You already won the battle, and you already have your crown. You're already reigning in glory. And yet you don't just leave us hanging. God, you give us your armor. There's still battles to be fought, but the war is won. And I just pray that we would, we would trust in everything you've given us, that you have us covered from head to toe. And there's nothing we need to fear. So God, help us to stay forward, to get dressed. We never know when there's going to be fire. We never know when there's going to be suffering. We never know when there's going to be attack. But help us just to be ready, found prepared, and dressed in Christ. God, thank you so much. We're alive. And hope is alive. And it's because of that we sing with all our hearts. You give us breath in our lungs. And so with it, we want to praise you now. Sing at the top of our lungs. In Jesus' name, amen.